Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Now we're resuming this series. It's been a, almost a month since we were in the, in the Gospel of Matthew doing this series. And so we're, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, pre, a review of where we are. We are looking at what the Holy Spirit is disclosing to us through Matthew's pen. Matthew was a witness of almost everything that is here. And like Luke, as Luke says in the introduction of his gospel, I'm sure wherever he wasn't the personal witness of, he sat down with the witnesses and got it right down to the tiniest detail. Well, we're going to step back for just a moment uh, in defiance of what I put in, printed in the bulletin. We're going to step back and I'm going to start in chapter 9, verse 1. We've already covered chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, but just to give us the context in the run-up to what we will be looking at. Matthew 9, 1. So he, Jesus, got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Well, his own city now is Capernaum. It's the hometown of Peter and Andrew and James and John is right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. He came to his own town, his own city. Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Now, wait a minute. Why did they have this man on a cot and his friends bring him to Jesus. I would dare say at the top of their to-do list for Jesus on behalf of this young man is his healing. That's what's in their minds. But Jesus looks at this young man and he sees with his God eyes, he sees a reality about this young man. I, don't, I doubt that they had to fight with him to get him on the cot to care. He probably asked his friends to bring him to Jesus for his healing. But Jesus sees the faith. And so he gives a miracle to this young man. He does something for this young man that only God has the authority to do. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Well, if Jesus is not who he is, they're right. But because Jesus is who he is, God come in the flesh. You go all the way back into Matthew's Gospel and you find out about Joseph well, first, Mary being addressed by the angel, you're going to become pregnant. You're going to be with child. And this is in fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And this is his name by which he will be called. Emmanuel, God with us. He is true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person. He is fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. And then when Joseph, her betrothed husband, not her husband yet, they've got a piece of paper on file down at the county courthouse. They've got that piece of paper on file that the wedding is going to take place. So there is a legal 
piece of paper there. And when Joseph finds out that she is with child, he's like, okay, I've got three choices. I can denounce her publicly and let everybody know and have her put under a pile of rocks. Or I can be kind and just quietly divorce her Because God allow this isn't the law of Moses, because God allows me to operate in this issue, He allows me to operate with a hardened heart. Because what is the will of God? Forgiveness. Ah, that's a little bit too far out there for and then an angel appears to him and says, Joseph, Mary's telling you the truth. The child that she is carrying is God himself therefore you will call his name jesus yeshua because he which means yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins and so joseph because of the encouragement and incitement of this vision does follow through in mary's mary the child is born Two years later, when the Magi come, and they come into the house where here is the little baby, and Mary is there, apparently Joseph's probably at work. They present the three gifts, and they worship him. Well, if Jesus isn't God, that's blasphemy. But Mary doesn't say, no, 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 no. No, she knows, yeah. Worship, yeah, that's the right thing. So we've seen this, and Jesus goes up on the mountain. We saw in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus had healed hundreds of people, bringing them all the way from Syria, they're meeting there in Galilee, the Syrians, that's Gentiles. They are, there are people, who, there are diseased people, cleansed of their diseases, there are sick people who are made well, there are demon-possessed people who are cleansed of their demons, And then Jesus goes up on the mountain and the people come to him just as Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God. Now here is God sitting on the mountain and the people come up to him and they hear Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus comes down and reaches out. uh, He's met by a leper. And the leper says, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And Jesus touches the leper he doesn't become unclean. Anybody else in Israel who touches a leper is ritually unclean, at least. He touches the leper and the leper is cleansed. Then he heals the centurion's servant. Then he heals the mother of, or mother-in-law of Peter. And then he, that night when the sun goes down, it's the end of the Sabbath day, and he, they bring to him apparently scores of sick and demon-possessed people, and he heals and cleanses all of them. And then he goes across this, he goes over and cleanses the, the two men who are filled with the legion of demons. Then he comes back here and, and the wind and wave miracle where the storm is calmed. Now we find him healing, first forgiving this paralytic. And what's the response of the Jewish leadership? Oh, blasphemy. No. 
he is doing something. He's seen with his God eyes the faith in this young man. Your sins are forgiven. Their response, blasphemy. Every evidence that he is God, they've seen. Remember, let me give you a comparison. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, member of the Sanhedrin, the rabbi of Israel, comes to Jesus secretly by night, but he has seen the miracles Jesus did that accompanied the cleansing of the temple. You've got to be from God. You couldn't do these things otherwise. These men saw, if not as much, probably more so, the evidence. They weren't interested in the evidence. They were not interested in the evidence. They were interested in their place in the culture and in the society and the power that they had over other people. And they weren't going to let the evidence drive them away from what they wanted. And as I've said many, 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 many times, the human race knows much more than it's willing to admit. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 1, that the entire creation is screaming a message of the human race about the reality of what our God is like. And they deliberately turn their back on it. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known about God is manifest to them and in them but they have a moral problem that they don't want to step away from their immorality or what they perceive as their self-interest in the present time. And so they forsake eternal blessing for a temporary fix. But Jesus forgives this man. The response to the Jewish leadership is he blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? What did he just say to these Jewish religious leaders? Evil thoughts. In your accusation, that was an evil thought. Je you know, Jesus, just dismiss from your mind this whole gentle Jesus, meek and mild thing, okay? <laughs> Jesus, I would dare say, would have been the martial arts champion of the planet, okay? <laughs> evil. Evil. I'm a religious leader. I am supposed to be revered. I'm used to being revered and kowtowed to by the people around me. And this guy just punched me right in the face. Yeah. Rightly so. Evil. Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? That's actually the big miracle. That's the big God act. Or, arise and walk. Well, in order that you might understand that I can do the invisible miracle of forgiving sins, I'll do the visible miracle. So you can see that. but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. 
the crowd, the very people that the religious leaders were used to manipulating and dominating, are turning their attention away from and their accolades away from the Jewish religious leaders and turning their eyes on Jesus. And they're going, whoa, this is a God that is not the God these men have been telling me about. And they are wowed by what they are seeing. All of these healings. And here's another. And they can see it. The Apostle John, 1 John chapter 1, that which our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's what we tell are telling you. That's the job of a witness in a courtroom is not to, draw, to tell the jury what conclusion to draw, but to tell the jury what they saw, what they heard, what they touched and smelled and tasted present the facts, and then it's the jury's job to assemble the facts into their significance. The multitude are seeing this, and they're getting it. They're drawing the right conclusion that the Jewish religious leadership could be drawing, but they're refusing to for their own reasons. And we see this again. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the people who witnessed this, who are walking along with Jesus, this is a shock. This is a shock. Tax collectors in every culture of the Mediterranean world, in the Roman world, tax collectors were hated. They were the betrayers of everybody. You actually bought a franchise to be a tax collector. And the Romans supplied you with the muscle you needed to. And you use that muscle not just to collect the taxes for the Romans. The Romans would tell you, you've got a franchise for this territory. We expect X number of drachmas by such and such a date. And whatever you can collect in excess of that, you get to pocket. And here's the muscle to help you. And all these tax collectors, they were hated, but they were rich. Matthew is rich and hated. And Jesus calls him because Matthew is a tax collector. He became a tax collector because he thought it was the best way for him to do life. Yeah, there's a lot of negative to it, but there's also a lot of positive. And that positive on the balance scale looks better than the negative. So I'll go... And he's gotten that. This isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. And he's been witnessing Jesus' ministry. He may well have been there present, one of those on the mountain, hearing the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus knows what's going on inside of him. And so he walks by him and says, come, follow me. Without a hesitation, Matthew steps out and starts following and then throws a party at his house, invites his fellow tax collectors and sinners, and you can just fill in the blank on who these sinners are. They're the people that everybody in the town has been rejecting. And they all know who they are. And they're having a banquet, a party, in Matthew's house. And he's a wealthy guy. This is not a little 
tiny place. It's a, it's a nice place, and it's filled, and Jesus is there. Now it happened as Jesus sat at table in the house that behold many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And to have table fellowship with someone in that culture was as welcoming as you could possibly be. That was the proof that you had welcomed someone and you were in fellowship with them is that you sat down at the table with them. That was the thing you did in that culture. To communicate that. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Ah, you don't do that. Why? By getting near these people, you get defiled. Let me ask you a question How present is God? He's omnipresent. <laughs> there isn't a single human being on the face of the planet, I don't care how virtuous or how wicked they are, God is with them. And he doesn't get defiled by being present with those people. He's God. Jesus is having fellowship with these people. When Jesus heard that, when word came to him from his, hey, these guys are over here just tearing you up. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. And I, would dare, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's saying this very loudly so that the Jewish religious leadership, maybe even outside the house, can say, hey, you guys, you ever read your Bible? The prophet Hosea? I, de I God, desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, they were into sacrifice. They were into paying whatever price they had to do to get the qualified animal, going to the temple, having it sacrificed, and doing whatever, and, and you got your religious duty done, done, now I'm going to go my own way and do what I want to do. That's human religion. In, even in Christianity, a whole lot of Christianity is about, I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning, I'm going to tip my hat to God, maybe put some money in the offering, do whatever, and then when I walk out of that building... I get another uh, six days and 22 hours <laughs> to do what I want. I gave God what he's at. And that was the Pharisees' approach. That was probably more than two hours a week, but still, that was the that's the approach of human religion. And so, what does Jesus say? Quoting Hosea, quoting his father in Hosea, I desire mercy. And that's that. Well, when does your mercy duty, when is that completed? When is your love duty completed? When have I loved enough? Never. Never have I loved enough. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous. And I think Jesus right here, we can see that word dripping with sarcasm. 
I didn't come to call you righteous, <coughs> but sinners to repentance. What is the command of heaven to the human race? Repent. 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 What is that? It means, the word literally means, the Greek word is metanoia. It means change your mind, change your outlook, change your direction. Throw away your old value system and embrace God's value system. Throw away your works religion, your self-righteous religion, and welcome God's mercy. Welcome God's mercy. I was just in first grade. And I was brought into a meeting. Child Evangelism Fellowship. In this, I'm looking forward to meeting this lady someday. And here's this gray-haired lady. This is 1954. Gray-haired lady there. And she presented a red heart, a black heart, and a white heart. And how you got... Ever, I'm, I'm sorry, kids. You got a black heart. You got a black heart. If you want a white heart, here's what God has done in order to make it possible for you to have a white heart. And anybody who wants a white heart, raise your hand. Boom! My hand shot up. I don't think I, I almost hurt my shoulder. I mean, I can remember. I honestly believe, as rudimentary as that presentation was, I really do believe that's when I was brought into the kingdom. I really do. Because I knew, I knew I was a sinner. And I knew God had solved the problem. I just needed to raise my hand to receive it. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Abandon your self-righteousness, your self-religion for my mercy. I will get done for you in mercy what you could never do with a lifetime of labor. That's all by way of review. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees, you really want to associate yourself with those guys? Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Let's talk about John the Baptist for a minute. John the Baptist wore skins. He ministered out in the wilderness, and he ate locusts and wild honey. John the Baptist was eating the way he was eating, living where he lived, and dressing the way he dressed because it was part of his message. His message to Israel is, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they knew from the Hebrew Scriptures the introductory phase of the coming of the kingdom is God stomping the daylights all over sinners. And God, in fact, allowing foreign invaders to come in and stomping all over Israel because of its sinfulness. And so John the Baptist, by his lifestyle choices and where he's ministering, is imitating what the experience will be of the typical Israeli who survives the judgment, 
he'll be out in the wilderness dressed in skins, eating whatever he can find, insects, whatever wild honey you can find hidden in some tree. That's part of his message. And these men who were disciples of John were imitating that, and they're fasting, they're doing all these things. And of course, the Pharisees happened to do some fast too for their ritual stuff. And here's Jesus, he's even called, hey, that Jesus, he's a wine-bibber and a glutton. He is, duh. I mean, he goes to the parties and it's like, why? Because that was part of his message. John the Baptist's message was about the introductory phase and events leading to the kingdom. Jesus is about kingdom party time. Once the kingdom is fully initiated, what will it be? It will be the gathering of God's people for glorious banquet time with God himself sitting at the table with God. What's it called in Revelation written later? Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will be sitting at table with Jesus And that was so Jesus was doing these things, eating, going to the parties, eating and drinking. And they're calling, there's in fact the same Pharisees that the disciples John the Baptist are citing was said of John the Baptist, well, he's demon possessed. He's so weird. But Jesus is a glutton and a wine bipper. They're critical of both. But these disciples of John the Baptist, and by the way, the Apostle John, the Apostle Andrew, at least those two, and maybe their brothers at certain times, had been disciples of John the Baptist. In fact, it was they were with John the Baptist when Jesus, whom John had just recently baptized, Jesus walks by, and John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And instantly, Andrew and John, this is in John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1, they immediately started following Jesus. And Jesus, where are you? guys going wherever you are that's where we're going okay why do we and the pharisees fast often but your disciples do not fast and jesus said to them can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them what did i just cite a minute ago the marriage supper of the lamb I mean, the initial phase of the blessing of God's kingdom will look like a marriage banquet. In fact, will be a marriage banquet. And the bridegroom is God the Son become flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, and we're the bride. And as long as that activity is going on, what it would be more insulting to the people whose marriage is being celebrated than to have somebody come up in uh, sack, instead of their best garb, show up dressed in rags and refusing to eat. That would be an insult. The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast when it's appropriate. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment 
or the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. And so you've got an old garment where the, the cloth is already shrunk. You've got a tear in it. You don't patch it with a piece of new cloth. You pat, if you're going to patch it, you use a piece of old cloth that's already shrunk along as has this fabric been. And you patch it with the old fabric. If you patch it with the new fabric, as soon as you, the first time you wash it, what happens? That new fabric shrinks and pulls away, and you've got a worse situation than you did the first time. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. And what they would do is they would take a lamb skin or a goat skin, get his, the hair cleared off of it, turn it inside out, and make a bag out of it, and they would put the new wine, yet to be fermented wine, into the, the grape juice, into the wineskin. And then as the fermentation process is taking place in the new wineskin, it's creating pressure. That's part of the fermentation process is creating pressure. Well, the new lamb or goat skin has elasticity. It can stretch. And maybe it's a God thing. It stretches about just the right amount as the wine would put that stress on it. But you don't put wine, new wine, into an old wine skin because it's already stretched as far as it can stretch. And so if you put the new wine into that, the whole thing is going to blow up and you'll lose everything. And so that old wine skin that you might have been able to use to make moccasins or some other uh, bags or something later on as its second use, now it's not use, useless for that. You've lost the wine. You've lost, you don't do that. And so my disciples, Jesus is saying to the disciples of John the Baptist, are doing the appropriate thing. They are behaving in an appropriate way. I am behaving in an appropriate way for the present circumstance. When the circumstance changes and I have ascended to the right hand of my Father, then it will be a much more dire situation and then they will engage in that sort of activity you're talking about. By the way, the disciples, John the Baptist, a whole lot of them, unlike Andrew and John, a whole lot of them never became Jesus followers. There were actually, for several centuries following this, there, was, there were John the Baptist groups out there for several centuries. They never aligned, many of them, with Jesus. Now, John the Baptist did. He certainly did, but not some of his followers. Verse 18, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, worshipped him, worshipped him, saying, my daughter, now this is man is a wealthy man, he's one of the leaders of the local synagogue. You don't get into that role by being just Joe Trash Collector. He is a prominent man in Capernaum. And he comes to Jesus and says, if you are willing, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. No ifs, ands, or buts. No wondering about it. I know what will happen. This, by the way, is the earliest record we have of Jesus raising someone from the dead. 
There will be the account later of Lazarus, and there will be others that are, will be mentioned. There were many resurrections, not only by Jesus, but by the apostles that are not listed, but we know it is stated that they did raise people, others from the dead. What does Jesus say in response to this man's entreatment and faith? So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. He gets up from the banquet and follows this man out, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. If I do this, I'll be made well. Now we're told in Luke, the physician, I believe it was, might it be, she had spent a fortune with doctors trying to get this problem solved. No solution. But if I touch the hem of his, I won't touch him. Why? Because if I touch him, I'll be defiling him. If you touched a woman who had this flow of blood, or if she touched you, you were ritually defiled. So she's sneaking up on Jesus. I'm not going to touch him, but I'll just touch the hem of his garment and I, this problem will be solved. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment for she said to herself, if only I may touch the garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. He doesn't rebuke her. In the same way that he reached out and touched the leper and cleansed the leper and he did not become unclean, she touches just the hem of his garment and Jesus knew, as he says in the other gospel accounts, he knew power had left him. He turned right around. Oh, who touched me? And the disciples, what are you talking about? You're being pushed on by this crowd like crazy. Oh, there's the... But I felt power go out from me. It's her. Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. These are paid, many of them, paid mourners making a big fuss. He said to them, make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Now, why is he saying he doesn't want, he wants people to come to hear his message, not just come for healing. Make room for the girl is not dead. This is not a final thing, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, again, touching a corpse. You, that's defiling. That's ritual defilement. Does he become defiled? But no. He communicates life. Took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. You see, the death experts were there, and they knew she was dead. And then she's up and walking around. And the word spread. The word spread. The word spread. The report of this went out into all the land. We do not lack evidence. 
we do not lack evidence. We've got lots and lots of evidence. Not only found here. Now, by the way, the men who are writing these things down, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the other witnesses, not one of them backed down. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to keep saying when somebody's holding a gun at your head and saying, if you don't shut up, I will kill you. And you say, well, I can't shut up because it's the truth. And if it now what happens many times is they pull the trigger and the gun doesn't fire. <laughs> I just saw this recently. It was a, somebody was recording this where this fellow was cornered in an alley. This was down in Latin America, I believe. I was cornered in an alley and they told him, they held a gun on him and said, if you don't shut up about this Jesus stuff, we're going to kill you. And he said, well, I can't. And the guy literally held up his 9mm pistol, click. Bang, bang, bang. Click, click. Finally, in with wide eyes, bang, bang, bang. Click, click. He ran out of the alley. But almost to a man, these apostles were martyred. The only one who didn't die a martyr's death, and it wasn't because the Romans didn't try, they did pour boiling oil on him, was the Apostle John. Thomas was speared to death in India because he wouldn't back down about the truth. And we see this to our own day where God defends his people. He makes a name for himself. But Matthew witness he was one of those disciples that got up and followed Jesus and saw these things happen and so when somebody says why should I believe that we can say well let me tell you why because the witnesses gave their lives rather than back down that is as powerful a testimony as you can have just a week ago uh, we were with family members, and two of one of these fellows is a follower of Baha'i. Baha'i is an offshoot of Islam, and the Baha'i started in the early 1800s. This guy in Iran called the Ba'ullah said, well, I am the next guy after Muhammad. Muhammad was the guy right after the who came in and into the Jesus place, and so he was the next prophet after Jesus, and the Ba'ullah in Iran is the next guy after And you know what happened when the Shah had the Ba'ullah arrested and taken to his execution on the way to the execution he said i made it up i made it up we don't have to do this i made it up i made it up jesus didn't do that the apostles didn't do that but that guy did the man who claimed to be the prophet this of disavowed his own role, disavowed himself. Didn't help him. He still got executed. But there's a difference. There's a difference. Mighty God, we thank you that there's a difference. We're going.